This is Deion Dawkins, man, and you're listening to The Scoop on OwlScoop.com. You already know. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Scoop, OwlScoop.com's podcast. I'm John DiCarlo, the editor of OwlScoop.com. Season 8, Episode 6. Famous number 6 is Famous number six is James and Bill Russell. That's the voice of Sam Cohn you're hearing. It's going to be a, a wild and wacky first few minutes of the scoop. Uh, Considering Caden just left us. <laughs> Philadelphia Inquirer's Sam Cohn, we should say, is just, just we said, we promised you that he would hop in every once in a while when he could. Sam uh, covered Penn State and Purdue. This is not becoming a Penn State football podcast. Don't worry about it. Sam already gets enough crap as it is uh, from his Twitter followers. Caden Steele will be joining us in a second. Javon Edmonds will be joining us in a few minutes as well. But Can I want to start on time here. Sure, go ahead, Sam. I, I think I sent this in the group chat, but no one answered. No one's been answering my text lately in the group chat. That's another point. Maybe you, uh, should, get the, maybe you should get the hint, Sam. <laughs> you, know, I don't, you know I don't mean that, right? It's only a matter of time until I get kicked. Um, Arthur Johnson added me to a Twitter list for a temple, like a temple Twitter list. Oh, I saw that. And I just smiled and went on. Went on my I'm way. not sure if he realizes that it's going to be way oversaturated with Penn State content. That's for that's for Arthur to find out. It's only a matter of time until I get removed. It's only a matter of time before more people start to unfollow me. I just thought it was funny. Caden Steele is with us now. We can see his face. With, with video as well. There he is. Yeah, my phone malfunctioned, so... Uh, didn't work some reason when uh, I kind of lost the zoom. My phone froze, shut it off, got my laptop restarted. Now I'm back on my laptop. What a day working through adversity here, but you know, just have <laughs> working through adversity, working through, <laughs> working, working through adversity. Uh, we are going to talk about Temple's unsightly season opener. Sam's probably gonna, I mean, you can stay as long as you want, buddy. Sam's probably going to duck out at some point, but wanted to say hi to us. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd like to make a point where, like, when you send the group, when you send the link in the group chat, if I'm not doing anything, I just hop in and say hi for a few minutes. That's because. that's part of that's part of the value that people get. Uh, you did, I mean, you did. In fairness, you did call us on the way back when we yeah, were walking back from Durham, North Carolina. You checked in with us. Were you on a layover, or were you already back from from uh, from West Lafayette? And when I was on the pod or when I called your phone? When you called on, on Saturday and we were driving back. Where were you at that point? When you were driving back, I was driving to New York. That's right. You were driving to New York for a, for wedding. a family wedding. The, the Penn State-Purdue football game was already in your rearview mirror because that was Thursday. It, was it worked out very well that I could go to the wedding, that go to the game and go to the wedding because yeah. my weekends are going to be pretty filled with, with travel for the next A lot, lot of travel. A lot of, everybody wants a, wants a piece of Sam Cohen right now. <laughs> But go that far. what's that? So I wouldn't go that far. Oh, let's just go. Just take the take the free publicity. Uh, again, Javon's going to join us in a little bit, but we are going to talk about Temple's thirty to nothing loss at Duke. What Temple has coming up this weekend in its home opener against the Lafayette Leopards. Sam, you didn't miss uh, you didn't miss a whole lot of uh, good football last Friday night in uh-huh. North Carolina. Um, I mean, I predicted a loss. I predicted a 10 point loss. I can't say I predicted a 30 to nothing loss, but, um, you know, I, I, Kyle had tweeted this out Friday night and I couldn't agree with him more. And this was the tweet that he sent out. Everybody knew that this was a rebuilding season. I think there was some optimism that this season would be like 2014, but no, this is going to be a 2013-esque season. Uh, I couldn't agree with him more. Um, Temple average just three, a little more than three yards per play, 159 total yards on 58 plays. Um, Stan Drake just kept talking about how his team didn't cut it loose, which implied that they were thinking and reacting more and acting less. They they looked on shore. Um, Dewan Mathis went 7 of 14 for 56 yards in the first half and finished 11 of 21 for just 83 yards. Um, had that sharp 16-yard throw to Jose Barbone over the middle. Jose Barbone and, and Adonica Sanders look solid, but again, very few, very few bright spots in this game. Sam, you have your hand up, like you want to make a point. Yeah, and well, I I said to you before we started recording that there's not many 
uh, articulate points I can make about Temple because one, I didn't see the game. And two, I haven't been covering the team as closely as you guys have these last few weeks. Javon's hopping on. Um, Javon Evans. Javon, you've joined Sam in the middle of making a Temple football point. Please go ahead, Sam. Um, But I will say that from, obviously I'm following plenty of the Owl Scoop coverage and only the Owl Scoop coverage. Sorry, Javon. Um, (laughs) Still part of Owl Scoop. He just had Temple news duties on on Friday. No, I know, I know. I'm just just messing with him. Um, There are two things I think I'm excited to see this year with Temple football from kind of just like an outside perspective as in terms of following the coverage and, and watching when I can. Uh, the first being Kyle's use of his new app. Um, <laughs> Kyle's, I, I've had Kyle's Twitter notification on for a while, but the, Kyle implementing the use of his app, I'm very excited for. Uh, mm-hmm. The other thing I'm excited for is that it'll be interesting to see how Stan Drayton, how do I put this in a way that makes sense? Like reacts and changes in terms of, personnel and scheme throughout the year where like, are there times where, you know, the, the depth chart was what it was. It was a lot of discourse, I think on the pod and you guys had written about, you know, why, what surprises looked like or why things looked like the way they did on that first depth chart. So personnel wise, how things change of like, did someone who maybe was highly touted coming in the season sort of fall off. And as they started to play actual games, didn't look that way. Uh, and then similar for the opposite where, you know, someone who maybe they didn't, envision playing super well gets more opportunities but also like the standard and evolve as a as a head coach obviously his first year coaching is the way he approaches certain things certain aspects of the game certain decisions he makes in game throughout the season i'm curious like, to see how he progresses and how he changes especially in talking to the media and how he kind of talks about and talks through ideas and decisions that he makes that's always interesting for a first year coach so to see the way that kind of progresses i think especially from like the standard and it was like you know we've been I don't want to say he was over overzealous about the way they prepared for the start of the season, but to then have him come off like a 30 point loss and be like very even keeled to say, we didn't, you know, we expected to whatever to be where they didn't expect to come out and be unbelievable. But just his reaction, I think is interesting to see how that'll progress. I, well, you make a, a few really good points there. And, and it, it's something that I wanted to talk about today because you know, it's, I've been through this before I've covered Ron Dickerson, Bobby Wallace, Al Golden, uh, Steve Adazio, Matt Rule, Jeff Collins. Who? Pop Warner. Pop Warner. (laughs) Um, But look, I get it. If you're a Temple football fan, nobody should be happy with a 30 to nothing loss. Uh, And again, to Kyle's point, you know, I think that you might think, okay, the facilities are better than when Al Golden took over, maybe even when when Steve Adazio succeeded him and Matt Rule succeeded him. And yeah, maybe there was some optimism that there was some talent on the team and whatever your point of view was, whatever your entry point into this whole line of thinking is, maybe you thought there was more talent on the roster than people expected. And maybe it was just being underutilized or utilized improperly. And again, people hate hearing this, but the season is a week to week to week thing. Mm-hmm. Sam, you talked about, it'll be interesting to see how Stan Drayton evolves as a head coach. It's going to be a huge part of the, of this, of this first season. I, I mean, that's going to be a big, big part of what we're looking at here. There were a lot of fans again, justifiably so, or understandably so, or predictably so maybe I should even say to put a finer point on it, you know, Again, I don't expect anybody to be happy with 30 to nothing loss, but then the fans come out of the woodwork saying he wasn't critical enough. His post-game press conference was a joke. Why isn't he saying this? Why isn't he saying that? I can't emphasize this enough to fans from my own corner of the world. The head coach, his job is not to make you happy in the post-game press conference by, you know, channeling your feelings and your venom and throwing it back. And, you know, if I'm Stan Drayton, which I'm not, I am not coming into that post-game press conference and saying, we've got a ton of work to do. My offensive line was terrible. I've only got a select handful of kids on this team that can play. The rest of them stink. You know, if you're all fire and brimstone and you want to make a splash, Stan Drayton hasn't, you know, I, I Stan seems like a, a very competent guy for his sake. I, I hope he succeeds, but he's still proving himself as a head coach. He still has a lot to prove. He's not going to come out and just eviscerate his roster to the media and now he might as the season goes on in certain aspects but 
Matt Rule didn't really do that. Al Golden didn't really do that. I mean, he said after the game, I have to be upbeat and positive. And I'm paraphrasing here. They are building, whether you like it or not. Now, if he's still in year two, in year three, in year four, if he's still making excuses and saying, we're young, we're young, we're young, and then they're not that young anymore, then you got a problem. This is one week. And again, I get it. There aren't too many good things that came out of the game other than maybe them tightening them up, uh, tightening up Duke, excuse me, and holding them to, you know, six points in the, in the second half. But um, I just think if you're looking at one week and you're really trying to squeeze things in and say, Stan Drayton wasn't critical enough in a post-game press conference, you're going to be in for a long season and maybe a long couple of seasons. Um, I, I think, you know, we talked about this on the, uh, Javon and I were talking about on the, on the, on the trip back, we might've been talking to you about it on the phone, Sam, after one week, and it's just one week, I think you saw a handful of guys on both sides of the ball that looked like the, like they belong. And I'm talking about maybe like Leighton Jordan, Jordan McGee on defense. Uh, I thought Jalen McMurray didn't have a perfect game by any means. Nobody had a perfect game, but he had it looked like he could cover. Um, on offense, I think Jose Barbone and Adonica Sanders look solid. Um, Isaac Moore did have that that tough holding penalty that, that cost him that one drive. I wrote about it as a turning point in the game. I don't know that there are really too many key turning points in a 30-0 game, but it did kill that drive. I think on the whole, Isaac Moore and, and Adam Klein probably were not your, your biggest problems on the offensive line. But save for a few guys on each side of the ball and Mackenzie Morgan, the punter, having a good game, everyone else either looked overwhelmed or lost. And the question is, in week two, playing against the Lafayette team, an FCS team that is really rebuilding, has a true freshman quarterback, do they get some confidence? Are they the guy that, that just, hey, I need to see somebody get the ball in the end zone, build up some confidence, even if it's against an inferior opponent? Are we having a different conversation week three, week four, week five? Or are we still stuck talking about some of the same things? But as of now, in week one, I saw just a handful of guys on both sides of the ball look like they belong, and everybody else looks like they're either stuck or overwhelmed. Javon, I'll kick it over to you. I don't know how you feel about that. Agree or disagree? You want to add some new stuff to this? I mean, obviously, you want to see some stuff. Saturday against Lafayette, it's it's a bye game. Um, bye game. Bye games are literally work on the playbook, get some work get the second unit in there. It's the preseason. That, that's what a bye game is. It's the preseason. Um, so if they can't show any glimpses, I don't even want to say promise, just football competency is what I'll use. Then Temple has a big problem. Uh, you got one quarterback, a transfer from FCS school who can't throw to the boundary. And then you got another quarterback who just threw for under 50% and under 85 yards in the same game. So you've clearly got problems. You've got a receiver, Malik Cooper, who ate popcorn before the game. Uh, Barbona Sanders looked good. You've got a kick returner who lets his emotions get all the way of the best of him. Uh, mm -hmm. And then corners, you've got burnt toast out there. So, I mean, they clearly – knew what they were doing when they set up this schedule. I think Kerry staff is responsible for this season's schedule with play a power five, then a bye game, then another power five, then another bye game, because they're going to need confidence boosts this week at Lafayette and uh, in, well, home against Lafayette and in two weeks home against UMass because, yeah, Temple, as we saw, few levels below Duke and Rutgers, which uh, for that game to be homecoming, God bless the Temple fan base. But, yeah, they, they they need everything under the sun to go right Saturday to get their confidence back. Because if you're a coaching staff, like you said, John, you're not saying it in the presser, but you're saying in your meeting rooms that, uh, yeah, there's a lot of work to do. And some guys have to get brought in through the portal and recruiting because there aren't many good football players on the Temple football roster. Well, I don't think there are right now. Again, my right now. Five, right now, I think from from my corner of the world as I see it. Look, I, I think realistically, I mean, and Stan talked about this. It's it's he said after Friday, I knew I had my work cut out for me. Some fans are gonna say that's an excuse. I think he's just being realistic. And when you are 
a, a head coach that's rebuilding a program, you have to watch out for missteps in the game, after the game, before the game. People are going to critically analyze what you say, what you don't say. Um, I don't think they have a ton of good football players on the team right now, but football players can develop. And we'll see how they look, like I said, two weeks from now, three weeks from now. In that secondary, Javon not pulling any punches, referring to a secondary that that didn't play too well. Dominic Hill had two penalties. Um, Elijah Clark did not look good at all in, in getting beat uh, on that 39-yard uh, touchdown pass to Samir Hagen's uh, St. Joe's prep product. Um, on the offensive line, uh, you just some other takeaways from the game. Uh, Chris Weezian and Stan Drayton elected to stick with the same five players there. You know, Jermaine Donaldson, I think I said this heading into to last week's game, you know, the depth chart comes out. You see how true it is, how true to form it is heading into the game. For the most part, it was. But Jermaine Donaldson, who was listed as a starter at guard at one of the guard positions, did not play. So it was Isaac Moore at left tackle, James Favonu at left guard, Rich Rodriguez at center, Wisdom Quarshi at right guard, Adam Klein at right tackle. Uh, on Monday, Stan Drayton praised James Famineau. I think he said he had a, uh, a great game or some superlative. I uh, did not say anything about Wisdom Quarshi, who I think had a, a rough game. I'll get to that in a little bit. Um, Ahmad Anderson really struggled, really, really struggled in the return game. He was indecisive, uh, and that indecisiveness, I mean, it hurt him on a punt return, hurt him on a kickoff return, um, and he had a fumble on a reverse. He just looked indecisive. I think he struggles with vision, um, and so, you know, and some of these things are coming through and showing through, and th th these are things that we saw um, These are things that we saw last season as well. I, I guess, again, to me, as of now, I would put some of these players in the three different categories, players that look like they belong and look like they get it. Some who just look lost and might get it. And some who just, you know, may not come around. I, I you know, I think the the previous staff or two staffs ago really recruited a player like Elijah Clark because he was a bigger corner with length. I don't know that he has the speed on the outside to keep up with some receivers. We'll see. Um, again, Leighton Jordan and Jordan McGee had eight tackles apiece. I think they looked like they belonged out there. Now, maybe a couple weeks from now, we're singing a different tune about Dominic Hill. Maybe he, maybe he cleans some things up technique-wise. Um, you know, in terms of the offensive line, um, you know, again, Stan seems high on James Famineau, a guy who played sparingly at Houston. Uh, Wisdom Quarshi, you know, didn't didn't play well. In my humble opinion, he looked a little overmatched. At times, it looked like they felt more comfortable playing Rich Rodriguez. Uh, it was a left-handed snapper there at center. And it looked like they, tr um, you know, they trusted him more at center. Before we get into more details here, Caden, I haven't gotten to you yet. What are your impressions from you know what you saw Friday night in the opener? Yeah, didn't expect them to lose. Uh, or the thirty nothing coming in. I think me and Javon last week were a little optimistic. I think we both chose Temple. I thought maybe they could, you know, grab an upset, but in all reality, I think it kind of set in what, like, what this team is currently is. The roster is still, you know, rebuilding. A lot of the players left from Carey are still here. Rod or um, Stan only has one recruiting class that have come in, a lot of true freshmen who aren't playing. So I think, you know, kind of what you expect, it's going to take a long time to rebuild this program. And then, you know, for people that expect, uh, you know, I mean, the fans out there, like you mentioned, you're kind of just like you know, getting mad. The stands not like throwing his players underneath the bus and getting mad. Like this is his first year. Like like you mentioned, kind of like agreeing with you is that he's got to be able to you know build that confidence in his players. And if he throws his players underneath the bus, I think you know this this first year is about building that culture. So that thirty nothing loss, I don't think at the end of the day is like you know a huge surprise. But he's got a lot of work to do, and I think setting that culture is probably his first goal. Even though if he's not, he's gonna always gonna come out and say he wants to win games, but it's gonna be tough this year. So obviously, how teams start is critically important. Not only how they start a game, but how they start a season is critically important. And and when I got back from Durham, I went back and rewatched the game. And I'm not gonna go line by line by line through the first, second, and third, uh, and fourth quarters here. But just to read you some of the notes that I've made, when you just see some of these things that became problematic, and we saw these things early on, I mean, these were some of my my takeaways and some of these early things that they need to fix. And as a staff, again, they either need to decide, okay, this is fixable, or we just have to recruit more to this position, and we don't have enough there. Uh, and again, these aren't things that I think the staff is always going to be so candid about 
in press conferences, I think you could hear Stan Drayton say, hey, we need more veteran depth at this position in the future. We need more here, more there. I, if, again, if you're a fan that's looking for him to call guys out, throw them under the bus, I just don't think that works anymore. Sure, he's going to point to penalties and mental lapses and stuff like that. I don't think he's going to take it easy on this team necessarily. But again, I think for you guys as fans who want your venom matched by the head coach, I just don't know that that's smart on his end. And I don't know that's really his style. But just taking more of a micro look at some of the other things that went wrong in the game, these were some of my impressions. If you look back at the third play of of Duke's first series, that 52-yard pass to Jordan Moore, who was, again, a guy that was competing for the starting quarterback job with Riley Leonard. We talked about him in last week's podcast, talked about how he would become another part of their offense, and he certainly was. Uh, it looked like it was Mahim Makargo who was slow to pick him up. And again, Mahim Makargo was playing some safety. They put him back at linebacker. He was slow to pick him up as he went in motion and turned up field for a wheel route. And then you can see Mahim Makargo just didn't have the positioning and the speed to keep up with them. And then Moore made a move on him uh, to make him miss once he got the ball. And then he made Alex Odom another safety or, you know, again, McCargo was playing safety at one point earlier in the preseason. Uh, he made Mahim McCargo miss. And then he made Alex Odom miss as well on that 52 yard pass on Temple's first offensive series. That again was a bit of a microcosm of their night. And then we saw struggles from the interior of the offensive line and some poor play from Ahmad Anderson. On Temple's first play from scrimmage, Anderson comes across to his right on a jet sweep, and he only got a yard. Now, granted, he didn't get great blocking on that play from James Delapesca, who started a tight end. Again, David Martin Robinson missed the game with an injury. He did not suit up. Uh, again, he's considered to be a, a, a game-to-game or week-to-week uh thing there. So James Delapesca is out there blocking on the play. Didn't do a great job of blocking. Uh, and Ed Sadie didn't really do a good job of blocking there. And uh, Dorian Mossy stopped him after a yard after Sadie didn't really like seal him off. But I just think Ahmad Anderson struggles with his vision and, and, and his cuts when he's looking up field. It just seems like there's something missing there. I think he's got good enough speed, but sometimes I just think he doesn't see things well enough and react well enough. On second down, Wisdom Corsi got beat and allowed pressure on a, on a play that went for a seven-yard loss to Jose Barbone. And then on third down, there was that fumbled exchange between between Dewan Mathis and Ahmad Anderson that lost five yards and ended that drive. So they just struggled right out of the gate. And then on the first play, Duke's next series, uh, it looked like Leighton Jordan could have been in line for an interception there, and he sort of mistimed his jump or whatever motion he was using to get into the passing lane there. Uh, instead, that play went for an eight-yard pass to uh, Eli Pankow upfield. Uh, when the drive stalled two plays later, uh, Ahmad Anderson bobbled that 53-yard punt and lost a yard on the return when he tried unsuccessfully to cut it back. So again, we talked about that earlier. Just really kind of struggles with with his decision-making in the return game. I asked Stan Drayton about that after the game, and he said, you know, I think he's a good returner. I think we just have to get him uh, relaxed more so. We'll see. Uh, again, I think Ahmad has some ability there, whether he really truly is a good decisive enough returner, we'll see in the coming weeks, but so far he's got a lot of work to do there. Uh, and then on the second play of Temple's next series, I'm not sure what Wisdom Quarshi was seeing as he began to move his feet to, uh, to his right. When he did, he allowed Dwayne Carter to blow up that play for a seven yard loss. Uh, Richard Rodriguez tried picking up the block, but was too late in getting there. Um, you know, without being in the film room there with the staff, I'm not sure whose responsibility it was to get Carter, but it was a bad missed block and missed assignment either way. Um, again, coming from the interior of the offensive line, an area that I think really struggled uh, on Friday night. Um, then Temple went three and out on the next series, one that uh, really never, uh, well, excuse me, they went three and out um, capping off that series, going three and out in the next play. Uh, that play never had a chance to succeed because Duke's best bet defensive player, uh, Shaka Hayward, their, their third-team ACC linebacker, he was right on Jakari Norwood there on a throw out to the flat that really wasn't on target. But they just, you know, any term that you can think of, you know, the team getting off schedule, not being in a rhythm, that happened just straight out of the gate. And there were so many different parts to it. You know, fumbled exchanges, um, you know, Dewan Mathis and Ahmad Anderson not being on the same page. Wisdom Corshi struggling a little bit on the inside. Some miscommunication there on one play between between Quashi and, and Rich Rodriguez. So there were a lot of things early on that set the tone where you thought, okay, this team's got more work to do th- than we thought. And that was just kind of a microcosm of their night. 
They never got things going offensively. Again, if you're looking for a positive, and I don't think it's coach speak, you know, holding Duke to six points in the second half is a plus. It could be something they could they could build on, I think, in a different set of circumstances last year under the previous staff. I think that game goes completely off the rails and you could be looking at, you know, a 40 or 50 point loss. So they did hold a rebuilding, a similarly rebuilding team under Mike Elko. Again, Duke was three and nine last year too. They held them to six points in the second half. The question is, what do they do with that bright spot? What can they take uh, from that moment? Uh, but otherwise, that again, those were some of the things that really kind of just set the tone for the rest of the night and, and showed you, uh, again, couldn't agree more with Kyle on this, that this could be looking more like a 2013 season and Matt Rolls' first season at Temple where they went 2-10 and 10, as opposed to a 6-6 six and six campaign. I think they've just got a lot of work to do. Uh, but so many things that we see early on where you think, okay, they've got a lot of things to clean up. And again, I think I keep coming back to this. I think you, you've got players in three different categories, ones that look like they belong and need to keep progressing, ones that just look lost and don't get it yet, and some that just may never get it. Right, so I realize that a lot of you may not know a whole lot about the, the Lafayette Leopards. They're an FCS program. They are also rebuilding like Temple is. They have a new head coach in John Troxel. And to give you some insight into Lafayette, uh, I wanted to talk to Ryan Roeder. He is a former Temple grad assistant, and he was here from 2006 to 2008 uh, under Al Golden and was part of the, the heavy lift that, that really got the program turned around. And, and Ryan went on to some additional, uh, additional coaching jobs uh, at the FCFs level. He was at Rhode Island. He was at Princeton. He eventually spent several seasons with the New York Giants and survived a couple of different coaching changes there. He got to work with Eli Manning, got to work with Daniel Jones after that when Joe Judge took over and uh, reshuffled his staff there. Ryan found his way back into the college game, spent the last two seasons at Penn State as an analyst, and now he's with Lafayette uh, as the wide receivers coach there. So I wanted to talk to Ryan for this week's podcast Talk to them a little bit about Lafayette, what they've got going on. Again, they're they're a team that's rebuilding. They're facing a lot of challenges. But Ryan was also able to talk to me about uh, his early days at, at Temple and what that meant to him. So we will play this interview for you now. All right. So as you guys know, Temple is going to be looking for its first win of the season this Saturday, 2 p.m. against the Lafayette Leopards to give us some insight into what Temple's going to be facing Saturday is Lafayette's wide receivers coach, Ryan Roeder. And I thought it'd be great to have Ryan on the podcast this week. In addition to just having known him for, we're talking about it just before we started uh, recording here for close to 20 years. And I feel like it's at the time's flown by. Um, not only has Ryan had a really successful coaching career and he's part of uh, the rebuild now at Lafayette under John Troxel can talk to us about, you know, what Temple's going to be looking at this this weekend, Ryan also has a great perspective and a unique perspective on on Temple football. And when Stan Drayton talks about, you know, culture and all the things that, that Temple fans have grown accustomed to hearing about, um, Ryan was a big, big part of the heavy lift under under Al Golden. And we'll, we'll get to that a little bit later in the interview. But Ryan, first, thanks, buddy, for doing this. I really appreciate it. How are you doing? Great, John. Thank you for having me on. It's great to see you. Uh it's really good to see you. Good, good to be on with you and uh, look forward to hopefully seeing you this weekend at the game. Yeah. Ryan, I, before we get into like your, your, your background, which includes, you know, stops at the FCS level, like your stint with the giants and all the players you work with there uh, and getting into your time at temple, you know, I don't want to overlook the, the, the big thing here, which is that, you know, you guys are one and oh heading into temple playing Temple this weekend, coming back to Lincoln Financial Field. And, you know, I know it was an offensive struggle, but you you guys beat a two-time defending conference champion. And I don't have to tell you that when you're rebuilding and you're revamping and you're talking about changing processes and changing a culture, you know, the guys just need to, they need to see some success every once in a while. And what did it mean for you guys from the most simple perspective, just to grab a win and to get it in the way you did, sure, I'm I'm sure you would have wanted to put up some better offensive numbers, but to get the defensive stop like that, like to to just kind of buck up and win the game, what did that mean for you guys to just get to just get this era off to a one and zero start? Yeah, it was huge, John. Uh, John Troxel's our head coach. He, we're we're a new program, just like uh, new coaching staff, just like Coach Drayton, and and 
what we're going through here is, you know, you're just trying to get guys to buy in. Mm-hmm. You know, you're trying to get guys to buy into Coach Troxel's vision. Uh, we have a lot of veteran guys on defense, some younger guys on offense. But, you know, you're getting – you're trying to change behavior, and um, you're asking them to trust you. And, you know, our kids fought hard. So we're just really proud of our kids and, and the way they fought. And wins a win. It's hard to beat anybody. And as you alluded to, Sacred Heart was a playoff team last year, uh, played – Holy Cross, who's been the the conference champion in the Patriot League, played them incredibly tough in the playoffs. So a good confidence builder for our guys. And it was a fun, fun afternoon uh, at Fisher Stadium. You know, in in a defensive battle like that, um, I know you guys didn't get a lot going in the passing game. You you do have a true freshman at quarterback starting for you and Ryan Schuster. You know, without giving away the offensive game plan hanging into Saturday, what what can you tell us about your receivers? You do have your leading receiver back from a year ago and Julius Young, but uh, what can you tell us about this group of receivers that you're working with? Yeah, they've been great. They, they've they've bought in. Uh, Julius Young's a veteran guy. Uh, Joe Gillette is a great story. Um, the Patriot League uh, media outlet did a, a story on him. Um, you know his battle. Um, you know, had cancer last spring and hmm. and fought through that and and was just a a true warrior in every sense uh, as far as not missing things in the spring and really if you get a chance for anybody to check out that article that's Joe Gillette and um, and there's nobody that's more admired on our team than Joe so Julius uh, Young Joe Gillette uh, two veteran guys Chris Caracia young guy from New Jersey and then uh, Elijah Stewart another young guy from New Jersey you know, all played last weekend, but high hopes for those guys this year. And, um, you know, looking forward to another opportunity on Saturday. And like I said before, you do have a, you have a true freshman quarterback starting for you in Ryan Schuster. You're a former college quarterback yourself um, at, you know, having played the position at Albany and you helped lead, you know, your program to a, a, a Northeast conference championship back in 2002. So I know you're coaching the receivers there, but it's all intertwined. Um, can you tell us about what you've seen from him? And and I'm sure it helps to have you on the staff because you know what he's going through and you know what his pro- what he's processing now on the field, off the field. Can you tell us a little bit about him and what you've seen from him as a quarterback? Yeah, well, I think, you know, quarterbacking, uh, it all comes down to how fast you can process information, you know, and you got to be you got to be a fast thinker. So the biggest thing I saw from I've seen from Ryan is that he put in the time um, as quickly as we were allowed to, you know, as quickly as we were allowed to get him information as far as learning an offense and you learn a new language and, and, and he's put the time in and, and that's allowed him to play faster. And, um, you know, when you can process things quickly and make quick decisions, um, to me, that's the key to being a successful quarterback. And, and Ryan's shown that ability for us. Well, in, in watching film and, and getting ready for Saturday, What'd you see from Temple's defense? I mean, they, they obviously weren't very successful in the first half against Duke and Riley Leonard, and he completed his first 15 passes against them. And I guess maybe one of the few bright spots for them on that side of the ball was that they, you know, they tightened things up a bit in the second half. They held Duke to two field goals. It was an interesting opener because, you know, Stan Drayton's rebuilding Temple, Mike Alco's rebuilding at Duke, and but they obviously got the better of Temple and and took it to him in a 30 nothing game, but. And looking at film, what what do you what do you see of that Temple defense? What do you see in terms of some of the challenges in terms of you know just getting the ball downfield against that defense in that second? Well, the overall athleticism, you know, the overall athleticism stands out. You know, they got some good pass rushers, uh, good pass rushers up front that we're going to have to uh, be aware of, and um, you know, just the speed, you know, side to side and sideline to sideline. So, you know, I think those are the things that will provide the biggest challenge for us as far as, you know, trying to block those guys and, and trying to move the football. Is this a unique situation for you guys, Ryan? Because again, and we'll, we'll get to your, your background at Temple in a second, but you know, this is, you know, you know, typically people say, Oh, FBS team against an FCS team. This is a game that Temple's supposed to win, but like this is, you guys are coming off a win and they're coming off a loss and they can't take you guys for granted. They can't take anything for granted here. Is it does it make it a, a little a little tougher for you guys and that they may have a real chip on their shoulder coming into this game and they're not they're not coming off like a, this isn't a temple team that's coming off like a, a 30 point win at Duke. They're looking for 
they're looking for a win. And I would imagine they can't take anything for granted. Is that kind of an extra challenge for you guys heading into Saturday? I don't know, John. I think we're both, you know, we're both such new staffs that you're, you're all just kind of figuring out, you know, what to, you yeah. know, last week was what's a game week like. And you know, now <laughs> we're going on the yeah. road. So we're all kind of figuring things out as new staffs. But I know this, our players will be excited. You know, for them, it's a big deal. It's a big deal to play in Lincoln Financial Field. Um, you know, a lot of these guys from Pennsylvania, from New Jersey, they'll be excited. And, um, you know, they'll have family there and, and uh, they'll be excited to compete. Now, prior to coming to Lafayette, you know, to work for John, you'd been an analyst on both sides of the ball for the past two seasons at Penn State under James Franklin. Uh, talk to us about, you know, what you took from your time there and what it was what it was like to be up there, part of that staff and part of that program. Well, uh, football weekends are pretty fun up there. I'll say yeah. that. Uh, yeah. uh, it was a great experience. It really was. Uh, it was um you know, you, you, the whole the whole state of Pennsylvania seems like it comes there on uh, football weekends. But uh, you know, learned a ton. Um, you know, really enjoyed my experience there. But you know, the, in the analyst role, you're, you you lose a little bit of the interaction with the kids on the field and, and things of that nature. So um, was excited to get back out on the field and and here at Lafayette. But great experience at Penn State. Very thankful uh, to James Franco for that opportunity. What is it? Was that part of the appeal? Like, how did things come together with 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 John at Lafayette? Was it a matter of just like I want to get back on the field, and it was the right right time, right opportunity? Yeah, I think I think anybody you talk to, you know, about John Troxel will say he's a first a first class guy, mm-hmm. and uh, he's a great person. So I think it was, um, you know, I'm from Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. You know, Coach Troxel's from Phillipsburg. We have a, a you know, there's a great president here, Nicole Hurd. A great mm-hmm. AD and Sharita Freeman, who you know from her yeah. time at Temple, mm-hmm. and it, it just seemed like things were uh, aligning. And uh, you, know, hey, you know, key to the good job is uh, so you know, you know, working for a great guy and looking forward to going to work every day. And and so I think those were the, the biggest things for me. And then you know, prior to being at Penn State, you were with the Giants in the NFL for seven years, working with the wide receivers, the tight ends, the quarterbacks. Um, you started off, you know, working for a legend in Tom Coughlin. And, and I, I think what's, again, what's most impressive is that you survived the coaching changes from Tom Coughlin to Ben McAdoo to Pat Shermer. And that's not easy to do, you know, and that's not easy. That's not easy to do you know, year to year in the NFL. Uh, and in the process, you got to work with Daniel Jones too. What, what was, what was it like just that chapter in your coaching career, being in the NFL, working with those coaches, working in the NFC East and everything that came with it? Um, it was, it was a great experience. You know, if, uh, personally it was a, you know, all our, you know, our, when, when we moved there, our oldest daughter was a few months old. So it mm-hmm. feels like all our kids were born there and, and we were there for seven years. So, you know, just great people, great experience. You know, I feel like I got to work really closely with a number of different offensive coordinators. And as you mentioned, I work with the receivers. I work with the tight ends. Then my last two years, I got work, got to work with the quarterbacks with Eli and Daniel. Mm-hmm. So that was a unique atmosphere, you know, as far as uh, Eli's last year, Daniel's first yep. year. But what a what a great uh, quarterback room that was and, and getting to work with the quarterbacks the last two years. So it was an awesome experience. I felt like I got an unbelievable education, you know, as far as the X's knows of the game. And um, it was a good run. It was a good run. One of the other things I wanted to ask you too, and obviously you know Matt Rule really well from from your time at, at Temple and and part of that coaching tree. And I remember talking to Matt about this and and asked him what the NFL was like. And and I he'd said to me in part like one of the biggest misconceptions is you don't have to be a big name in coaching to make an impact in the NFL. These guys are living contract to contract, and if they feel that you can help them get to their next contract, whether it's with the slightest bit of footwork, the slightest bit of technique, they're going to be locked in and listening to you. Was that your experience there with the Giants? Because it sounds like that was his experience there and his brief time there. And he said, you know, the the NFL is a lot more of a collaborative, locked in environment than people would think. Well, I've gotten that question a lot over the years, John. And I think the biggest thing is to those guys, they're young kids, you know, they're 22, 23, most of the leagues, 22, 23, 24, 25. And you're just their next coach, you know, yep. so they've had they've had coaches their whole life and you're just their next coach. And to Matt's point, you know, if, if you're going to show someone that you're invested in trying to, you know, reach that goal together, that's, you know, to me, that's the 
the simplest way to talk about coaching, right? You're, you're, you're both trying to reach the same goal and I'm trying to help you reach that goal. And I'm going to, I'm going to show you how you can improve. And I think that's, um, yeah, that's the best way to develop a player coach relationship. As a, as a former quarterback yourself, and as a guy who was a successful college quarterback, I mean, I know, I mean, we haven't gotten the chance to see each other as much over the years, but I know you, I know how hard you work. I know how process oriented you are. And I know how dedicated you are to your job and you're not a big self promoter, but is there any point in your career when you're working with the giants where you kind of just step back for a second and say, I get to work with Eli Manning today, or I get to work with a guy that was the first round pick that they're trying to tie the franchise to. Do you have those moments where you kind of take a step back and say, wow, this is pretty cool. Um, yeah, it was always fun when we were, when we were deciding when the, you know, what, what the first calls of the game were going to be and what the first third down call was going to be, you know, those were always, um, you know, those last two years in New York, you talk about a, a quarterback room where, you know, Mike Shul was the offensive coordinator. You had, uh, Eli, Daniel Jones, Alex Tanny, who now coaches for the Eagles. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he was, he was there as well. And, um, you know, Pat Sherman being the head coach and you know, kind of all, you know, putting together the plan together and things like that. So that was, that was an awesome experience. And, and, you know, the things you pick up from those guys and the things you pick up from a guy like Eli and, you know, and there's the biggest thing I can say about Eli is he's the greatest team guy I've ever been around. Mm-hmm. You know, you talk about, a, a year where he's essentially being replaced and, and the way he mentored Daniel, um, you know, just within that quarterback room was, was extremely, extremely impressive to watch. Mm-hmm. Your brother, Jason's the head coach at Freedom High School in Bethlehem. And, and I guess you could say you're part of a football family. And I'm, I'm sure we've talked about this in the past, but did you kind of know from an early age that you wanted to get into coaching once you were, we're done playing. Is that something that was kind of ingrating you or was it not that simple? Well, I wish I had a better plan, John, when I graduated college, but uh, <laughs> I went out to Indianapolis and I was working a job and for a, a combine company. Right. And uh, the spring was fine. I graduated in December, the spring was fine. And then that, that next football season rolled around and I said, you know, something's missing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I just missed being a part of a team and I missed having a game to look forward to on the weekend. So I was I was out of it for one year, and then the next year I got back in in 2004 coaching at Holy Cross. Now I wanted to again go back and and close things out here with you know talking about your time at Temple with Al Golden, and um, again you were as as big a part uh, of that that rebuild. Coaches talk about looking back and seeing faces, and, and as well as thinking of just names, and, and you did so much work there and helped really build the culture. Take us back to how you got connected to Al and landed the temple in the first place. Uh, yeah. So I was, uh, I had met, um, I had met Ryan day, the, 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 uh, the year before work in Florida's football camp. And mm-hmm. uh, Ryan came on with Al to be the uh, wide receivers coach. And yes, I was down time. working yeah. a summer camp mm-hmm. and uh, they had some guys leave. And then uh, I took the job in the summer mm-hmm. and then uh, I had to get enrolled in a graduate class mm-hmm. where I met my beautiful wife, Megan. Yes. And, uh, as they say, the rest is history, John. Yes. Yes. Um, and again, she's uh, Megan and I had the chance to, to get to know each other and you guys have an incredible family and I know she's been really supportive to you and we, we got to know each other during that time. You work so hard as a GA, and I would imagine you work even harder <laughs> under Al Golden. What was day-to-day life like for you as a GA? Because again, we we both know how seriously Al took that job and just how much of a nut he was in a good way to really get things turned around and how much of a rebuild it was. Take us from when you first got there, what the job was like and just how much work you had to do and what, and what went into it, because it was a ton. Well, um, First of all, I, uh, I think Al was the, the perfect guy at the perfect time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and coach DeLeon was the offensive coordinator. So it was, I was the offensive GA from 2006 to 2008. And yet another incredible person, God rest his soul, who yes. you have to interact yeah. with. Yeah. A, a great friend and mentor to me, um, always willing to help out. But the, uh, I think we're all, we're all really proud to be part of that program. You know, we're all really proud to be part of the turnaround players and coaches, um, it was a lot of work. 
I do think the first date with Megan was sometime after 11 o'clock at night. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we're, we're all just really proud. You know, it mm-hmm. was uh, it was among the worst programs in college football. And, yeah. and I think we all took great pride in being there and, and helping turn it around. What, what are some of the names and faces that jump out to you from that time? What like or can you even think of, you know, I know sometimes when you see when you start to see things turn around, it may not always be in a game. You might see a moment in practice or you might see a moment in the weight room or you might experience a moment where because you had to do like the, the bed checks and the classroom checks. Right. Are, are there any times where you just saw a moment in time where you thought, Things are, yeah, starting, I, things are starting to turn. These guys are starting to get it now. Yeah, we, we went uh, we went one and 11, then we went four and eight, and then we went five and seven. Mm-hmm. And then uh, my grad assistant was done, and I was uh, I took the wide receiver's job at Rhode Island. And a friend of mine and I went to a Phillies game, and so I was already gone. But it was that summer. It was that summer before, I guess, it was the year they went to the bowl game. And I said, hey, I'll, I'll take you up and show you the practice facility. And this was in – you know, the summer, there was no coaches around. And I saw the the players running a players only workout mm-hmm. on the field. And it was uh, one of the most impressive things I ever seen. And you could kind of get a sense the year before that we were heading in the right direction. We were five and seven. There was a lot of excitement. But it was kind of the moment when I knew and I was on my way. I was already gone. But I said, they've they flipped this thing. You know, the mm-hmm. players have the players have taken it over. And, um, and I think that was the year they went to the bowl game. What are those early years like, Ryan, when like, again, it's coaching is, is such a grind and it's Al demanded a lot of you guys. Cause you couldn't just come in and be like, Hey, we're just going to do X, Y, and Z. And this will be fine. It was, it was such a, a heavy rebuild. What are those early years like when you just, the hours are endless and it's just constant work. What's, what's it like when you think, hopefully there's going to be a payoff at some point, but what are those early years like and how demanding is it? Yeah, I, I think I think probably the best way I've heard it described over the years is, you know, if, if you can do something else, do something else. But, you know, if you if you, you know, you you have to be so um, you have to love it that much um, to enjoy that part of it, because, as you mentioned, it is uh, it's challenging and, and um, you know, it's challenging as as a young coach. But it's probably as you, you get older and you're you know, you have kids and things a wife and kids, it, it probably even be, becomes more challenging then. So, um, you know, your spouse has to be extremely understanding, but, uh, but those early years, uh, they were crazy. They were crazy. And it was, it was a lot of work that went into it, but, um, you know, there was a lot of, uh, excitement around the program. How, when you look back at it, do you, do you think at all about, I'm, I would guess you do like just some of the names you've brought up just in the course of our conversation now, um, you know, Ryan Day, George DeLeon, Al Golden, like all the, the people that kind of intersected with Temple that you got to be a part of. And it's a really a cool thing. The guys that have grown out of that Al Golden coaching tree. And it's not just Matt Rule. It's it's all these people that you've been around. Do you feel fortunate to be kind of part of that group that kind of just grew from from that culture at Temple and all the people that you got to intersect with? Yeah. You, know, you stay in touch. You stay in touch with all those guys. And it's it's a cool thing. There was a there was a time at the NFL Combine where the whole offensive staff was all in the in one room together, mm-hmm. um, you know, which was pretty cool. You know, Coach DeLeon, Ryan Day, and all those guys. So, um, yeah, it, it was it was it was a great experience to be part of. And uh, Coach Golden put put a really good staff together. You've you've coached it just about every level, the FBS level with Temple, high level FBS at Penn State, the FCS level with Holy Cross, Albany, Rhode Island, Princeton, and, and of course your time in the NFL. And you've seen different crowds, different budgets, different fan bases, all these life changes. What's the common thread that, that keeps you going through all of it? Because you really do have a very well-rounded perspective on coaching and, and, and college football and pro football. Well, I think at the end of the day, you just, you're, you're trying to, you're trying to get with a player and trying to, to chase the goal together, you know, and, you know, you have to have, you have to develop a, a relationship with the player and he's got to know you're in his corner, you know, and that, I think that's the thread that runs through it as far as, you know, just, you know, open, honest communication. And then, you know, you're, you're chasing a goal together. And then um, I think the rest kind of takes care of itself, but uh, you know, you, you have to love the teaching part of it. You have to love the mentoring part of it. 
And then you have to love the the X's and O's. You know, you have to love the challenge of trying to put a game plan together and 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 trying to, you know, trying to execute that. You know, um, so I, I think those are the things that go into it. Hey, to close things out here again, I want to pay tribute to to your family, to your wife Megan, who's who's tremendous, and and you have three children, your your two daughters and your son, and you have you've 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 bounced around a, a lot and had some great jobs. What is it like? just having that supportive family, what does family mean to you? Because I feel like I hear coaches, not that they didn't talk about it more in the past, but I feel like you hear them talk about it more now, the work-life balance, and that's never an easy thing. And you guys have moved around a lot. What, what, what can you say just about having that supportive family and what that's meant to you? Because you, you've worked in a lot of different places and I'm sure it's not easy when you're measuring out how are things going to go from year to year. I'm sure there's a lot of anxiety that comes with that. Yeah. And there's a lot of unknowns when there's a lot of unknowns when there's coaching changes. Yeah. But you know, the, 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 my wife is the, is the rock of the family for sure. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of times when you're, you're, you're working late nights and and she's a single parent or you're on the road recruiting and she's a single parent and the amount of sacrifices that she makes is unbelievable. And, you know, when you add the layers of moving, um, and, you know, you know, selling a house and buying a house and, 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 you know, changing all the insurance and all those things. So, yeah. um, she's the rock of the family for sure. Uh, my daughter, Lucy's nine, she's in fourth grade. Callie is seven. She's in wow. second grade and Jack is in kindergarten. And, uh, you know, seeing them after a game is, uh, seeing the whole crew after a game is, uh, you know, what you look forward to. Oh. Ryan, this has been awesome. I know you're busy. I'll let you get back to, to game planning for Saturday, but this is, uh, it's been awesome to have this perspective. Great to see you. And yeah, it was great family. catching up with you, John and tell, uh, you know, tell Miss Nadia Harvin, I'll be looking for her on Saturday at the game. And, uh, you know, Adam DeMichael, I said hello and those guys. I will. Thanks buddy. Appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for having me on. All right. So big thanks to Ryan for, for being with us on the scoop this week. And hopefully that gives you a little bit of insight into Lafayette and of course the you know his time at Temple and what Al Golden meant to him and that whole coaching tree that really involved so many please uh, so many people uh, so many important people like the late George DeLeon, Ryan Day, Matt Rule, um, all sorts of people that have been important to the program and important to the game of football. Um, again, when when you look at Lafayette, you know tip of the cap to them. You know they they started off this this rebuilding effort one and zero. They beat Sacred Heart last week uh, despite getting just 113 yards of total offense they have a, a true freshman quarterback starting in ryan schuster um so i, I think you know in, in hearing ryan talk there you know he talked about the athleticism that that they're going to be facing with temple i know that temple can't take anything for granted heading into this game because they are 0 one and uh they had so many miscues on both sides of the ball but you know before we get into your predictions here, Javon. I would I would think that this is a get right game for Temple, right? Like I said earlier, it's a bye game. That's in the definition of bye games. Mm-hmm. Get right, you know. So um correct some sloppy mistakes. Really, I think if if I'm staying defensively, I'm giving Cam and Keyshawn, uh Cameron Ruiz, um the start next to Jalen McMurray. Um, and I'm getting Keyshawn Paul some reps this week, too. Need to see what he looks like because it can't get any worse than what you saw from Elijah Clark and Dominic Hill. Um, I'm trying out a new kick returner this week because it can't get any worse than what you had last week. Um, Dewan Mathis. Listen, um, John, you know I hate morning time television. I, I despise it. Um, <laughs> however, Shannon Sharp, a Ravens great, he drops some good nuggets every now and then, uh, particularly when he's talking about advice that either his grandma or granddad gave him. Uh, he said his granddad once told him, he said, son, if someone's trying to show you who you are, you better believe him. Mm-hmm. Folks, DeJuan Mathis is showing us who he is. I believe him. Uh, with that being the case, yes, he starts, but give Patterson some reps because Drayton said in his press conference, uh, he, he saw everything that we saw. He thinks Patterson just needs mechanically some fixing. There's no better place to fix your mechanics outside of practice, of course, than in the game when you got people actually coming, trying to take your head off. So I'd like to see him for a full quarter, maybe even a full half. Uh, like you said, a get right game, try some different stuff, throw some different, 
uh, personnel groupings out there and and see what can stick. Uh, obviously, you're not looking for the result per se. You're really looking for how crisp and tight it looks because uh, these games against you know lesser opponents, you're looking for fundamentals and not flashy results. So uh, that that's what that would be my approach heading into Saturday. Yeah, and we'll see how it goes. I mean, every week's a different story. You mentioned maybe getting uh, Keyshawn Paul some more snaps. Uh, you know, according to Pro Football Focus, and we're gonna be we're gonna be um, just to give you a taste of what our Al Scoop subscribers get uh, every week. Kyle does a story where he recaps uh, the the precise snap counts, and we're not gonna go through the the whole list here with you. But on defense. And again, every game has its own personality. Every game's different. So they were trailing 24 to nothing at halftime. Again, they, they held Duke to two second half field goals. That was it. They lose 30 to nothing. Uh, but Keyshawn Paul only played four snaps the entire game. When they started rotating new guys in, it was Dayon Hawkins and not Keyshawn Paul initially. So he could be a guy that you see. Keep an eye on Brangan Scott at safety. Uh, I'll be interested to see what they do at that position as well. If they start shifting some guys around at linebacker, um, but you know, the guys near the top of the, the chart there in terms of snaps, you know, Jordan McGee played 57 snaps, Alex Odom played 53, Jalen McMurray played 52, Leighton Jordan played 51, Darian Varner played 43. Again, I'm not gonna go down the whole list here, but you can kind of see early on who they trust. And down at the bottom of that list, who's starting to, or who's still, you know, figuring things out there. So, yeah, we'll see if, if Cameron Ruiz plays seven snaps in that game. Now, granted, could be a couple things like we've discussed. It could be that he is legitimately trailing these guys on the depth chart. Another big piece of it could be that he missed a lot of the offseason with an injury, with what Stan considered a significant leg injury. So he played seven snaps in the game. Keyshawn Paul played four. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. But I agree with you, Javon. I mean, especially in the return game, see what, you know, I think that you've seen what you've seen from, uh, you know, from Ahmad Anderson, that this is a player, if you want to be honest, you know, uh, the previous staff did not offer him. Temple had the chance to recruit and evaluate him um, when he was in high school. He ended up at Purdue, but uh, Temple never offered him before. Now they took him, you know, Rod's staff took him as a transfer. Um, we'll see. We'll see if he can get things turned around. I, I agree with you. I kind of think you've seen what you've seen there out of him. Uh Going on down the line here for staff predictions, I, I think that, you know, I think it's possible for Temple to go from not scoring at all at Duke to, you know, breaking out in this game. They should. And again, I, I like Ryan. I've known him for close to 20 years. I wish Lafayette well, but they've got a long way to go. Uh, I think this is a game that Temple should win and win easily. Uh, I've got this one as a, a 31 to 3 Temple win over Lafayette. Uh, Kyle's prediction is Temple 41, Lafayette 7. He said to us, copy and paste the Wagner game. Uh, Javon, you've got, what's your prediction on this one? I'll go uh, to be generous, 28 to 3. I'm not going to share Kyle's 41 to 7, copy and paste from Wagner um, sentiments. Maybe I should, because mm -hmm. I do think Temple has a better roster mm -hmm. this season and a way better coaching staff, of course, in uh, Lafayette. I guess you can consider a worse program than Wagner. So maybe our level. I mean, John Troxel did a good job. Again, we're talking about an FCS program, and then John Troxel was at, was at Franklin and Marshall and, and is a really highly respected guy there. They're just recruiting at a different level and developing right. at a different level, of course. But uh, I don't know. But yeah. So, I, so, I mean, yeah, that 41 to 7 is very likely. I think last week uh, I kind of burnt myself. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be a little more cautious and safe with my predictions from here on out. <laughs> I'm going to stick to a very safe 28 to three. I'm looking at Max's 27 to three, and I'm liking that even more. Yeah, Max Sinenberg from our staff has Temple winning this one 27 to three. Javon is the guy who put his hand on the stove and got and got burnt with his prediction last week. Uh, let's go to the mailbag to close things out here. We have a, a few mailbag questions from the message board this week, and these are scoop.com subscribers. These are screen names we're reading to you. The first one is, uh, the first question comes from JHG722. Question there, how much of that loss was a total indictment of the Rod Carey era? Um, That's a great question. I'd say it's a, in large part an indictment of the Rod Carey era. Now, again, a couple of these players were not even recruited by, by Rod Carey. You know, Isaac Moore and Adam Klein weren't recruited by Rod Carey. Now, again, I, I do think that 
you've got pretty solid players there in Adam Klein and and uh, Isaac Moore. Now Isaac Moore ends up committing a penalty. And again, I think for the most part, if you were to go back and watch the game, I don't think that Isaac Moore played a terrible game at left tackle. I think more of their issues came at guard where they're a lot younger, but he gets burned there on a penalty that that they kill the drive again. Do they, if he doesn't get the hold there and, and the the Darvon Hubbard five-yard run goes for a first down, does that mean they win the game? No, probably not. Um, but, you know, the, and again, Elijah Clark, not recruited by Rod Carey, but I do think that the last three years, and I'm not, yeah, not about breaking any news here, the last three years have really set the program back. That first season, I think Rod pressed a lot of right buttons, a lot of the right buttons, and then they obviously got got their clocks clean in the in the bowl game against North Carolina, and things went downhill after that. Uh, again, you won't you you can develop to a certain point. You need talent, you need depth. Um, but I'm sure again, like now, obviously Stan is a first time head coach. Danny Langsdorf and DJ Elliott are experienced assistant coaches, as is Jafar Williams, as is Joel Montanar, and he's got some experience on that staff. They bear some responsibility, of course. Anytime your team loses, your staff bears some of the responsibility there. You know, um, maybe they could have tweaked some things differently. I, I give them credit for making whatever adjustments they made in the second half. Now, did you know? Did Mike Elko adjust, and did Kevin Johns adjust? Did they come up with a little bit more of a conservative game plan to kind of just get out of there in the second half and get away with a win? Probably, but. You know, the, the current staff bears some responsibility on this. I'm sure they would say this, but I would say it's in large part. I don't know. I wouldn't call it a total indictment of the Rod Carey area, but uh, Rod Carey era, excuse me, but it's a big part of it. I don't know how you feel about this one, Javon. Yeah, it's, it's college sports. Uh, well, it's sports in general. When the last coach, the last general manager, the last vice president of operations leaves you with a roster that uh, isn't in the best shape, the next season, it's like it's like baseball. When a pitcher comes out, he's still responsible for some of those base runners. Those are going to be his earned runs. It's just like that in college football, college basketball, and any professional sport. They're, they're, these are still the last staff's earned runs. Granted, you know, the relief pitcher, the new staff, still bears some responsibility, uh, but they can only do so much with what they've taken in and what they took in wasn't the greatest product, you know, yeah. like they're, they're in the game for a reason. Bases are loaded. And the last guy gave up two runs already. Hmm. Javon, bring a little, little, little baseball talk into the scoop. I like it. Uh, second question here. The screen name is Jeff MD 49 question is why were there no deep balls to stretch the field? And why weren't there more design running plays for our QB since both can run Jeff, I, you know, whether you like the answer or not, um, you know, Stan addressed this in his Monday press conference. He was asked about that. And, you know, for the most part, and we'll play the audio for you here in a second, that things were kind of all over the place, that the, the, they were off schedule in terms of their implementing their offensive game plan. And Stan, you'll hear him say it here in a second, just the, the opportunity just didn't present itself because they never really got into a rhythm. But here's Stan Drayton answering that question on Monday. So we'll just give this to you right from his mouth. Well, you know, this is a matter of just getting in a rhythm, right? You know, if... If you're not having success on first down, you know, um, you're calling an off-schedule second down play. And, you know, we're playing a battle of field position type of football, you know, and uh, obviously um, that is in our package to throw a vertical ball, you know, but uh, um, it just didn't present itself this week. All right, and the, and the final question um, from Mike TB31. The question here for the mailbag, which QB gives us a better chance to win? Um, I mean, I still think, look, people may think I'm being boring here. This is a week to week thing. As of now, to me, it's still Dua Mathis. Based on what I saw from the limited time of Quincy Patterson, I will say this. Quincy Patterson's coming in late in the game. There's no shot in hell that they're going to win the game at that point. And Quincy comes in and he's he's has now granted he played pretty well for North Dakota State last year, got hurt, comes back, lose lost a starting job to the next guy, but comes in on running packages and is a big part of the equation that helps them win, you know, the FCS national championship. So you, you tip your cap to him. 
you know, he hasn't, he hasn't played, he hasn't played throwing quarterback reps in a long time. And I think that's part of it. But what we saw of him throwing the ball late in the game wasn't great. So I, I've got to say right now that Dewan Mathis gives you the better chance to win. I think there was a lot that did not go well around Dewan Mathis. Do I think he's ultimately the long-term solution? Maybe not. Maybe Elijah Warner is your long-term solution. Maybe Tyler Douglas is your long-term solution. But you're talking about a true freshman and a guy who's still a senior in high school at Ocean Township at this point. Um, as of now, for me, it's it's Dewan. Now, talk to me in a couple of weeks if Dewan really just isn't getting it and the interior of the offensive line is starting to play better, then maybe maybe Quincy Patterson gives you the better chance to win. Maybe two weeks from now, Quincy has become a more confident runner and maybe he's a run first, throw second quarterback and maybe you get him into some, you know, hey, let's set him up for success here. Some easy throws, some dump off throws. Uh, An offense filled of RPOs, which Dante would love. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, Again, we go off the limited body of work that we have for him at Temple. Not that he doesn't have a body of work from from North Dakota State, but as of now, that answer is is Dewan Mathis. But let's talk in another in another couple of weeks. What do you think? I agree with everything you said. I can't add anything to it. Took the words right out of my mouth. I'm sorry. Now I feel. Like <laughs> I mean, we've been saying it. We've been having this conversation with each other for what two years now. And yeah, yeah. So well. That'll do it for this week. Again, stay tuned. Uh, well, I should say this before, before we close things out, uh, just a quick basketball recruiting update. Again, for those of you who are alscoop.com subscribers, um, if you get the chance, I, I did talk to Zion Stanford uh, about his official visit to Temple. He visited Boston College this past weekend, Then he told me that he has one more official visit set up with Drexel, and then he's going to decide after that. I, I would think that Temple is right in the mix for the West Catholic uh, small forward here. We'll see. We'll keep you updated on that. Again, stay tuned to alscoop.com. We will keep you updated on his recruitment uh, and as things continue to develop in the next few weeks heading into the season uh, for Temple's basketball team. Uh, but for Javon and the brief appearances from Sam and Caden, I uh, hope to have Kyle back soon at some point. I want to say thanks to you guys for, for tuning in for another episode of The Scoop, and we will talk to you soon.